Hello everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with uh, Juliana and uh, she works with uh, CXL, the company of Playa. So I just started listening to their uh, podcast as well and I really recommend everyone to check this out who is interested in B2B SaaS. I think it's called uh, How to Win podcast. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. But let's introduce Juliana. So you work with uh, CXL before you work with uh, Omniconvert, a Romanian company pretty close to my uh, place. Yeah. And your big focus is retention in e-commerce and in not just in e-commerce, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm a lifecycle marketer. I actually started being in love with retention after, uh, you know, during my period and after uh, Omniconvert. So uh, I, uh, what I do at CXL right now is I handle customer lifecycle and uh, customer marketing. Basically, all the people that buy CXL subscriptions will find me in their inbox because I take care of email marketing. I take care of uh, post-purchase experience, onboarding, user guiding, and all the stuff. So, and it's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. The business model at CXL is very similar to e-commerce. It's like a combination of, uh, I guess, subscription plus SaaS. So a lot of things that I know from e-commerce work and a lot of things blow up in my face that I test and they don't work. So it just makes me think more and more that um, e-commerce companies could definitely steal things from SaaS and SaaS companies should definitely steal things from e-commerce. And it would be so good if you find like the sweet spot between strategies. For me, the biggest uh, takeaway or, you know, when I re- really realized this thing that I should look into not just into the agency world or e-commerce world but other industries even you know very far industries when we started making mistakes with our creatives and actually many agencies they do it but it's not good and i just thought about it okay like in manufacturing companies they don't make silly mistakes or it's very rare they make like a million cars and not many mistakes compared to the high number and okay i was like email is much more easy than an car or a plane so why we make mistakes and uh we just raised the bar here in terms of quality of our output and uh you know it was just a big takeaway and i think everyone can look into other industries to improve yeah i I think what happens when it comes to marketing teams or agencies or even SaaS companies like if let's talk only about e-commerce because this is an e-commerce podcast so when it comes to e-commerce when you know you have vendors you have consultants you have agencies and i think and you're probably going to agree with me on this. We don't put enough time in building processes and workflows and we don't build enough, yeah. you know, put enough time into documentation because we're like always in this whirlwind and having to execute different tasks and having all these billable hours for clients or, you know, having all these projects. So it's very hard to actually take time and document what you did. And if you think about it, at the end of the day, everything that we do in terms of outputs is rinse and repeat. But if we don't document and we don't have these processes in, in an agency or in a company, we're just going to reinvent the wheel, uh, you know, every time. So I really advise everyone that's listening, that's running an agency or is running a team, really put time into building uh, processes and workflow because those are the ones that actually help you make that money. It's not only about the smarts of the marketing team. 
And now let's talk about the, I just call these the four levers of e-commerce. And I posted about this the other day into a big Shopify group on Facebook. Yeah. And it got, it got some few comments, positive, both positive and negative. So let's talk about it. So basically what I said in my post is, I think there are four levers that we can use to change an e-commerce business, the customer acquisition cost, the conversion rate on the website, the order value and the lifetime value of the customers. What do you think? Is it is it bullshit? <laughs> I actually wrote an article about this earlier today. It's not mm -hmm. exactly on this topic, but well, I think you can measure a lot of things in e-commerce yeah. and in any business. It doesn't mean that it's going to be necessarily useful as well. Of course, you should be able to be aware of all the metrics inside, you know, what's going on in your day to day. Obviously, conversion rate is important. AOV is important from a point I have really, really strong opinions with average order value. Obviously, customer lifetime value is important. And uh, what else did you say? besides that and profits right i mean of course every metric is important but like what i tell everyone is that you should be focused on you know what really makes sense for your business on the you know growth stage that you are for a small brand that just started of course you're going to be interested in things like traffic like conversion rate because you just started you're you're not going to be interested in lifetime value because you don't have any type of lifetime value in your first year of business when it comes to average order value i think it makes sense when you have enough transactional data to be able to use that average. But unfortunately, people don't calculate average order value as they should. They just look at order, they confuse average order value with order value. So I've seen companies that they do the segmentation called the AOV segmentation. They don't <laughs> segment on an average of order values over a period of time. They just do it on order value. So if 10 people bought for $300 as an order value, they'd say, okay, that's the average order value, but it's not. That's just an order value. So I think with these metrics, if you Google right now, the easiest, like the, the funniest one is COV. Google right now how to calculate customer lifetime value. You will get a hundred definitions. You will get the one with average yeah. order value with purchase frequency and um, customer lifetime span or whatever. Then you will get margin or retention rate uh, divided by discount rate. Like you will get so many definitions. And luckily we have tools right now that calculate customer lifetime value. But even those tools don't actually calculate lifetime value. They calculate revenue, customer lifetime revenue. So this is why, because yeah. it's such a mess with metrics and data. I think the best thing you can do is to do what's, you know, what makes sense for your business on um, the growth stage that you are, but also work with, uh, with an agency that actually has data people that they can help you and um, don't rely so much necessarily on tools intelligence because sometimes you know tools actually mess up as well but i think you're right i think they are important the the metrics they become more or less important as the business grows each business or at least growing businesses they reach a stage where things just get so complex and there is so many so much data that yeah. uh you need to measure and you need to assign those to somebody like a manager or yeah. somebody. Otherwise, the business just becomes bigger than you and it eats you alive. <laughs> it yeah. does. It does because there's a lot of things that like when it comes to transactional data, a lot of things make sense and a lot of tactics and strategies make sense if you have enough data. The thing that I see more and more with different brands is that there are brands that have a lot of data. You are data rich, but you are very insights poor. And the reason why you're insights poor is 
not because you don't have a tool, because I really see people adopting tools. I really see people, you know, buying CDPs or different, I don't know, BI tools or visualizations. Like people do invest in technology, but you need someone there to manage the technology and to be able to help you understand what you're looking yeah. at. Most companies that have a data analyst or, you know, like, or companies that hire an agency that have data analysts, they just have them as I, I've been using this a lot on social media. They just have them like, a, I don't know, like a trophy, like a Fabergé egg of their team. And they're like, you know, it's like a party. And they say, hey, you know, like what? I am data driven. Look, I have a data scientist hired. Mm-hmm. I have a data analyst. Like, of course, I'm data driven. So it just became a joke. Of course, you know, like it's so easy to say I'm going to install a tool and this tool is going to help me, I don't know, increase my average order value, increase my lifetime value. But at the end of the day, it's not going to happen because you need someone capable of operating that tool and operating the data in a way that it makes sense for your business. Because there are businesses that, for instance, they don't thrive on customer lifetime value at all. If you're selling, I don't know, a a device that helps you I know, not wedding rings, because this is like a boring uh, example. But I know this guy that's selling this shaving uh, devices for women that basically, Mm -hmm. you know, give you like permanent, you know, soft skin. And he only has one product, right? And people buy that product and the product has a lifetime value, right? It's not Mm -hmm. customer lifetime value, it's product lifetime value. How many of those products you need, you know? So, of course, that dude doesn't give a fuck about customer lifetime value. I'm just going to try to get more people to buy it. And of course, you should invest in customer experience and make people that buy that one product to be happy to be with you for a long time. Like that's the culture of, you know, the the customer experience culture. Are you going to start, you know, checking out your AOV? It's the same. You have the same skill. You're going to start checking out your customer lifetime value and try to do all this crazy shit. No, you're just going to make sure that you're acquiring the right customers and that you keep them coming because LinkedIn annoys me sometimes, but it's like this whole discussion on LinkedIn for the last days, like what's more important, acquisition or retention? It's like asking someone, would you rather have an arm or would you rather have a leg? You know, like they are both important. They, you know, like it just depends for each business and, you know, product actually dictates the whole strategy that you have no matter you know what you're doing if you have a product that needs you know replenishing or you have a product that's you know highly consumable yes you need retention yes you need to invest in you know repurchase rates but if you have a one-time only product you know like why would you not double up on you know doing better ads once i posted a graph i think on social and basically on the two axes one axis was the price the other axis was the i don't even know what the <laughs> other one but the the conclusion was the higher the price was of the product the, i think the other axis was some kind of product category so mm-hmm. Price and product category, these two things define if you should focus on acquisition more or retention. And I will tell a few examples here. So, for example, if you sell expensive furniture, expensive jewelry, then uh, you should focus more on acquisition. People don't buy a golden ring every day or a new furniture. Unless you're a rapper that has a lot of money, (laughs) you know, you want to have a lot of bling. Yeah, your VIP customer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you sell, you know, cheaper jewelry, pet products, baby products, or uh, other consumables, beauty products, skincare products, there are many in this category, then you should focus more on retention and because yeah. you will have many returning customers. So the product and the price really define how much you should focus on acquisition or retention. And yeah. I think the other thing that you mentioned is the number of the products. So if somebody has only one product, then of course you can try sell it again and again, and maybe you can. If it's a consumable product, yeah, like something you 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 use, you finish, and then you need to replenish. For example, we have a 
client and they sell uh, pet products. Mm-hmm. They have actually one product and and a few more, but like 90% of sales is one product. And we thought that this, if we work together, this would be a disaster because we did email for them and yeah. we couldn't sell something else. But actually it turned out very well. We make more than 30% from email because actually the pet owners, they want, they usually have more pets, not just one. Like, Is it the they, pet company that I know too? Probably. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And yeah, I like the, those guys. They're nice. I yeah, think yeah. I know who you're talking about. And, uh, you know, these people, these pet owners, they usually have more dogs, more cats and more, yeah, not just one. Because some of them, many of them, they are crazy about pets. So yeah. they buy the same product again. It was a surprise for us as well. When it comes to marketing, like I know people say this is like old shit, but you have to focus on product price, product and, you know, uh, uh, placement, sorry, product price, placement and promotion. These are the four P's of marketing. Nothing has changed. Even if we try to reinvent the shit, it's still the same things like product price yeah. promotion and place like channels like this is it like this is what we we need to do and um of course i agree with you you know with what you said everything is dictated by that and i think it's also like this myth in customer retention that you can grow retention with so much you cannot actually grow retention with more than 10 percent per year and a lot of people are saying that they can but they cannot and um i've seen this case study from nordstrom done by mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Hillstrom. Uh-huh. Kevin Hillstrom is actually one of the people that uh, came up with, um, you know, the optimizing, you know, CLV and RFM segmentation and so on. And he was saying that you cannot move repurchase rate that much. If you have a 25% retention rate in general, in a year, if it's a good year, you might get to 31%. But if it's a bad year, you cannot get more than 28%. And it, it's not much you can do about it. And it has nothing to do with the tools that you're using or how smart you are. It's just that I think we're romanticizing how loyal customers actually are because they're not that loyal as we think. Like, look, think about yourself. You buy from a brand, you buy, you buy, you like it. But at some point, you're going to change it. You're going to go to someone else and you're going to try their product. And uh, all the tactics that we do, yes, some of them work. They will definitely work. But it's not impressive if you increase retention from a month to month. It's impressive if you keep it for a year or two. So like whoever tells you that they increase your retention rate with more than 10%, I would doubt it very, very much because historically you cannot do that. And no one could actually. I'm still waiting for case studies for people that did more than 10% on retention. And there's some really cool case studies with um, with Kevin and he has them on his website. I can share with you the links. So you can put it in the episode notes. It's a very, very good uh, follow to do on uh, Twitter or on uh, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you cannot really grow retention rate that much. You mean a uh, year over year 10%, right? Yeah, you cannot do it more than that. I mean, another misconception here is that um, everybody needs it. <laughs> no. You do not, like you don't. And um, I have an also pet brand example, petcolors.com. I can I can actually share the name of it. So this guy, uh, the owner, Adam, he's such a great guy, a very good friend of mine. So he sells a lot of products. Like he has multiple SKUs, but his bestseller, the one that, you know, makes him the money is this pet color. And this pet color lasts for 10 years. Like you buy it and you cannot change it for 10 years. The product is that good. So what he does, instead of focusing on customer lifetime value, because it makes no sense for him, he focuses on customer lifetime fans. So what he does is he improved the customer experience and built all these crazy email flows and newsletters and all these engagement groups that he has his uh, purchaser on that basically he transforms his customers into salespeople. So when, you know, this this 
people with dogs go outside and you know like they get together you know dog lovers or animal lovers they meet in the park they're gonna say hey i bought this pet collar and you know i have it for 10 years or for six years and this is how the guy just you know simply gets an army of advocates even if he doesn't need retention but he focuses on very very good customer experience and that increases his profits so that's another case study of like you don't really need to go too deep to to do all the crazy shit you just have to be focused on you know one thing and do it right i wanted to mention uh, deathwish cafe i met the uh, cmo actually now they are looking for a new retention manager i think mm-hmm. but uh, back then like uh, three years ago i met their marketing manager in boston at the clavio conference and mm-hmm. and uh, their retention rate was 80 percent eight zero percent And for a coffee brand, it completely makes sense because, you know, you buy it off. He was the first guy who told me that their retention is too high. That's their problem now. Like they want more new customers. Yeah, it means they're underspending on acquiring customers. Like they could uh, spend, this is like the unit economics conversation. So their acquisition cost, their customer lifetime value is probably like three to one or four to one. So it means that they should spend more on acquisitions rather than they're spending on retention. So yeah, another disease. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, (laughs) growth disease. One more thing I wanted to mention uh, about calculating things and how to calculate them because there are many, many ways, right? Yeah. uh, we hired the financial controller last summer. He's really good. And what he told me, because we had the same issue with uh, measuring churn rate and different software tools, they do it differently. There is retention rate, which is kind of the, I don't know the English word, like basically the opposite of churn rate. You divide the, the number. But what he told me, you can play with these numbers forever. Just stick to one, which makes the most sense for you now and just stick to it for years or at least months. Otherwise, it will just screw you. I mean, you don't have to be scientific too much about it. Just find one which you think it's right. Of course, you can double check it with data analysts or something, but don't overthink it and just stick to that number. What's more important is the trends. So see the trends during time. Also, what he told me, if your numbers are still small, then look at the absolute numbers, not at the percentages. If you are Mm -hmm. a six-figure business, then just look at the absolute numbers. If you are bigger, then you can look at the percentages. For example, if you don't have returning customers, you have like, I don't know, 50 a month, then you don't need percentages. Just look at the number. But if you have, I don't know, 5,000, 50,000, next month we have 52,000, you can check the percentages. It becomes more important. And these were really good advice that uh, you told me last year. That's good. And yeah, I agree. I mean, Again, like, I'm going to repeat this, like a broken record. You have to do and focus what what's best for your business. I know we are looking around and everyone seems to, you know, post their screenshots of how much they did on social media. But I'm really not impressed either. Like, I'm, I'm never impressed because if you're going to focus on stuff that has nothing to do with your business model and your own unit economics, it's just not going to work. It's You, you probably yeah. will see, like, something for, I don't know, for two months, like some trends, positive trends. And then you're going to get in a in, in the summertime when shit kind of, you know, is not that good. And you're, you know, embarking Q4 when stuff is growing. And then you get into this time right now in February when you're just crying. And I know a lot of brands are crying this month after what happened in Q4. A lot of people will give you so many ways of doing stuff on social media. But like the actual cool stuff is not shared on social media. You, you know, like not, even, you know, the smart consultants or the smart companies are not going to give you their secrets on social media of how they're doing stuff. They just, you know, it's just thought leadership. So you have to use your best judgment to decide what works the best for your business and for your business model and what's your profit formula 
you know, like how are you structured as a company to make money? And then as we were, uh, you know, uh, talking about this in the beginning of our conversation, focus on building processes and resources allocation and do things in a very, very specific way. Because again, e-commerce marketing is rinse and repeat. You just got to be smart about it, you know, and not create, like everyone is just doing the same, same mistakes every year. You know, like how are we going to stop that, you know, crazy look? Do you want to mention the RFM model maybe? I'm so tired of talking about RFM and customer lifetime value. Uh, but I would love to talk about RFM a bit. I, uh, I'm getting asked yeah, about this. Every, it's like everyone everyone is asking me about this. Yeah, I mean, RFM is a very, very great uh, methodology to determine customer value. It's uh, RFM stands for recency, frequency, and monetary value. And uh, it's a very good way to segment customers based on uh, buying behavior. But not everyone can use RFM. So for RFM to make sense for you, if you're a brand, is to have at least five years of transactional data behind. And because otherwise, it's not going to show you. I mean, of course, it's going to give you some trends, some directional data. Yeah, yeah. It's going to give you some sort of, you know, segmentation. But it doesn't work. This concept of RFM started somewhere in the 60s to 80s. Uh, it was a part of database marketing. What we call right now, you know, what we see right now as CDPs and different platforms is just another form of database marketing, which was, you know, before the CRM era. So mm-hmm. the companies that actually thrived on RFM and still use RFM are companies with millions of dollars in transactions. So we're talking about telecom, we're talking about huge retailers, we're talking about banks. So this is where the RFM model works as it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. If you're a smaller brand, you can, like, let's say, I'm giving you, you know, like the you know worst case scenario. Let's say you have 50,000 customers. Yes, you can use it. However, the groups that you're going to create are not going to really be accurate. You can use it as, as you know directional to try to build and personalize the post-purchase experience, but those segments are not really real because customers' behavior changes all the time. And uh, like one group, there's two groups of RFM that drive me insane. One of them is the VIPs and one of them is the ones that have a low order value. So the VIPs groups with RFM, they might be VIPs for you today, but they might not, might not, might, you know, not have been the day before. So in RFM, you assign a score from one to five for each customer segment. So if you have a group of five, five, fives, means uh, people that have a, a recency of five, a frequency of five and a monetary value of five. So their best customers, VIPs. Mm-hmm. However, because we have something called life cycle of customers, like every 30 days, every 60 days, there's another life cycle. So you might have in your VIP group someone that was inactive for two years. Like yesterday, he would have been 155. So he hasn't bought from you in a year, but he bought 30 minutes ago. And you might consider that person because you see it in the segment as a VIP, but that's not your VIP. You know, like that's 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 something that happens in any RFM model using e-commerce. So I would be very wary with the VIP groups and I will try to look at the ones with four, five, five or, you know, like closer to, to reality because the VIP groups are, is very dynamic. So you can have people that purchased two years ago and purchased 30 minutes ago and then they go to your uh, to your segment and you email them like they're VIPs, but they're actually not. There's people that haven't interacted with you in a long time. So that's that's one group that pisses me off. And everyone is talking about VIPs and how awesome VIPs are. And so so on. One, one five five is the fake VIPs. Yeah, like they could have been VIPs, uh, you know, today, but 30 minutes ago, they might have not have yeah. been. They like both... the recency. Yeah, they both high value. Recency is, is there as well. It's high because it's recent. No, the recency would be low. 
But if they would buy, they, they used to buy in the past a lot. So they have a high frequency. They spent a lot of money. So they have a high monetary value. But the recency is low. So if he buys, that customer buys today, the recency is going to become high. So yeah, you would yeah, think yeah. like, oh That's my God, this yeah, is yeah. a VIP. But so it's cr- not like you very... Yeah, like you have to be very careful with this group. And a lot, a lot of people don't know that or think about that. And you're just blasting people thinking, oh, my God, you're my VIPs. No, they're not. And there's this happens so much. Like you can send right now um, an email campaign to a very engaged customer segment and they buy. You think, oh, my God, my retention is big. Look at all my VIPs. But actually, it's really not. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, very careful with that. I would definitely focus more on, uh, you know, like segmenting based on recency because I do email marketing as well. So I would look at things like, you know, recency, like uh, mm-hmm. last engaged and uh, things that, you know, you can find in Klavi or you can find in uh, any other ESP that you're using. You can look at your highly engaged segments and I wouldn't mm-hmm. rely only on RFM if you don't have enough data. The more data you have, the more accurate. And many stores they don't have. Probably most stores they don't have. Yeah, so I would focus on Clavio because they have, you know, like as an ESP, Clavio has really good, you know, engagement uh, metrics that you can use. So you can do your email marketing based on those engagement metrics, like, you know, um, last opened, engaged, converted. Like there's so many goals you can set up for flows. And if those people have, you know, those flows, those are events that can trigger other workflows. It's way better and much more safe to work with your ESP segmentation then do RFM if you don't have enough sample size. And if you don't yeah. have enough sample size, you're just like thinking you're doing, you know, something, but you're actually not doing anything. But if you have 10 million customers, then is when RFM is going to make sense for you or 5 million customers or something like that. But what's under a million? And you also mentioned low value uh, customers, right? But regu- those are, you meant the regular ones, right? Like regularly yeah. they buy low value. Yeah. I mean, what I don't like is that people, um, so... There's two types of behaviors. You have buying, right? And you have Mm -hmm. consuming. So buying is when you go and buy for the first time. Consuming is when you are buying the second time. Mm -hmm. So it's a buying behavior and consuming behavior. Like when you buy the second time, it means you're a consumer. If you're just, you purchase one time, you're a buyer. That's it. End of story. You're not consuming. So what pisses me off is that a lot of people uh, say, um, I have this group of buyers that bought for me for the first time, but their order value, or they call it average order value, is driving me crazy, but it's actually order value is small. And I'm going to give you an example. Let's say you and me go on Decathlon right now, and I buy for 20 euros and you buy for 200 euros. How can you say that I'm going to come, I'm never going to come again and buy for 200 euros? Or how can you say that you will never come and buy again? Just because, you know, so like what brands think is that you are a better customer than me because you spend more money on the first order while I just spend 20 euros and I'm, you know, ignore me. But I might come in two weeks and buy again or you might never come back again because you didn't like your product. So like instead of, you know, ruling people out from the first order, you should put them all in the same great experience to see, mm-hmm. to get them to the second purchase. Because if you get your customers to the second purchase, that's the biggest contribution you can do to the retention and customer lifetime value, right? Like stop dreaming about four to fifth orders, get them to the second purchase. I can see that's- the same with abandoned carts, by the way, that high value abandoned cart, low value abandoned cart. We used to set this up for a few brands, but nowadays we don't overcomplicate it. We just put them into the same abandoned yep. cart flow. Because we never know if they come back, how much they will buy again. Exactly. It's not worth it. Like, it's not worth it. And I do abandoned cars for CXO too. We never had abandoned cars before. 
So I, I implemented the abandoned carts in November. Right now they're converting with 10% after three months. So it's doing great. And you have people that have our trial for one euro, but you have people that are a team account of 10 or 20 people that have $3,000, $4,000 in my abandoned cart. And I just did text only. Like I don't do no design, no dynamic content, nothing. It's just plain text only. And it's killing it right now. Like I yeah. get so many replies back to it and saying like, oh my God, this is great. It's so simple. Because I'm like, hey, you know, like, just waving at them in a gif like you left this in your cart you know and people don't expect to see this and i think more SaaS companies should implement abandoned cards because it's money on the table yeah so definitely. but i don't segment based on order value because mm-hmm. it's not fair treat everyone nice you know like if people want to spend more with you they will spend more with you but that's a consequence of a good product and a good experience you could send the best email flow if people don't like it and don't like, you know, your product, it's useless. Yeah, I think these are our closing words for today. And yeah. uh, thanks for sharing all of these. Uh, and thanks everyone who listened to us today. If you yeah. like this episode, then please go to uh, either Spotify, Apple or whatever platform you use to listen to this one and uh, give us a review, share your honest opinion, either good or bad. We are open to it. And uh, yeah, thanks, Juliana, again, to. Uh, Had fun talking to you, man. Really, yeah. I liked your questions. Not the RFM one that much because I'm tired <laughs> of talking about it. But thank you. This was fun. I appreciate you having me here today. Yeah, thank you. Stay tuned, everyone. Yeah.